Welcome to the Redemption Hill podcast, addressing current topics practically through a gospel-centered lens and identity. I'm Brandon Mercer. This is Charles Fernandez and Matt Mears. We're elders here at Redemption Hill Church. And today we are going to be talking about the topic of grace. We just finished up an eight-week series discussing the gospel and COVID-19, the current pandemic that we are in. And now we're moving into discussing different topics or questions that that you might have. And so we would encourage you to send any topic or question that you might want us to discuss. Uh, send an email to info at redemptionhill.net and we would be happy to and excited to address those topics or questions. Today's topic is that of grace. And I have discovered throughout my life and walk with God and, and time in ministry that grace is something that is very highly discussed uh, a lot of times it's very highly misunderstood, and there's a lot of questions revolving around it. Um, and it's a very difficult thing to live in. It's a very difficult thing for us to really understand how to practically walk in. Uh, so we want to spend just a few minutes today talking about what grace actually is, um, how do grace and, and works work together and uh, as Christians say, salvation is free and it is by grace alone, but it costs you everything to follow Jesus. So what is the, how do those two things mesh together? So we'll talk a little bit about that. And, and after hopefully sorting some of that out just a little bit and just kind of scratching the surface on that, we want to talk a little bit about how we live practically in an understanding of God's grace and how he's working in and through us as followers of Christ in our everyday lives. So I'm just going to start off by asking the question, what is grace? It is obviously an incredibly important doctrine in scripture separating um, really the gospel truth with any other thing that we would seek salvation in. And so what is grace? Yeah. So, um, grace is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> and uh, what I mean by that is I, I'm just sort of thinking about my own, my own life growing up in church. And I, I remember in catechism classes, uh, you know, I would hear the term grace tossed around, but never really getting a, a good definition on it. It was almost assumed. And then after actually giving my heart to Christ, you know, you would get these acronyms that were just very sort of surface level. When I say it's a, when I say grace is a gift that keeps on giving, well, obviously, biblically, it is a gift. Uh, grace, by definition, is a gift that we receive. And I think that's fundamental to any understanding of grace. And to, to try to narrow it down, I mean, you can, like I said, put it in an acronym. You can give a one-sentence definition, and it would be, uh, it, it could be accurate. But what I found just over years is that, Man, the more I walk with God, the greater depth of understanding and applicable, and it, it, you get a you get a greater sense of just how vast mm. it is. It is grace is incomprehensibly vast. It's, it's application of what what it means uh, what it means to us. Um, so from that, uh, where I sort of start with when I think about grace is in Colossians chapter two verses. Uh, nine and 10, it says that for in Christ is all the fullness. Um, now that's short. It says in Christ is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, but in Christ is all of the fullness. So in him, grace starts with the understanding that in, in Jesus is everything. And that's why we can say, Hey, grace is everything, but uh, in him is everything. Um, and what that means then that verse goes on to say, then, 
that in Christ is all the fullness. And then in Christ, we have been brought to completion. Mm. So grace is what we receive solely as a gift from uh, uh, through the work of Jesus that that completes us. Mm. And uh, there's a lot of ways we need to sort of that's very broad. It's very comprehensive. And I imagine as we go through this conversation, we'll get more practically uh, practical with that. But that's where I start. It's, it's first the understanding that Jesus is total fullness and total completeness. I am incomplete. And so therefore, out of his goodness, he gives me this gift that I receive that completes and satisfies my heart. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is, uh, you know, I, when I think about grace, I think about the uh, unmerited nature of grace, that it's not something that I earn. Mm-hmm. It's something that is given to me. You mentioned that in a gift, right? Um, I think sometimes we get a little sidetracked by our understanding of gifts, right? I give you a gift. You give me a gift. We exchange gifts. Mm-hmm. But um, biblically speaking, um, the, the, the gospel tells us that the only thing that we really bring to the table with regard to our salvation is the problem, our sin that needs to be uh, wiped out. Uh, and so um, it is unmerited. We don't earn uh, God's grace. We don't deserve it. Uh, so it's an unmerited uh, favor. Uh, so that's the way I've always thought about it. You know, uh, unmerited, the unmerited favor of God that is uh, that is given to us. Yeah, and I think about the, the story of the prodigal son as a as a great example you know so matt you talk about sometimes we fail to realize we there's nothing we can bring to the table right to justify getting a gift and when you look at that story of the prodigal and you and you think through what he had actually gone to his father he asked you know for his inheritance uh ahead of time which was really honestly a a very offensive thing a dishonoring thing um because what he's telling his dad is i really don't care about you just give me my stuff and i'm gonna go right and um uh, but then when he finally comes to his senses and he's going to, and he comes back, um, of course we, you know, we see in the story that the father is longing to, to see his son, see his son from a, from a far distance. But then the son, cont- uh, comes up with a plan and he says, you know, I don't, I don't deserve to come into your house. Um, let me be as one of your servants. In other words, I'm going to, I want to, I want to pay off this debt that I owe you. I want to sort of say sorry by working it off. And before he can get the words out of his mouth, the father is calling for the, a, a robe. Hmm. And, and, and so the father takes his own robe and he puts it over his son before his son can work it, before his son can get uh, cleaned up. And the father is draping him in a robe of acceptance, a robe of love, a robe of forgiveness before the son uh, can do anything about it because the son can't do anything hmm. to pay off that debt. And that to me is a, is, is a good example of what you're talking about. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's based on the character and righteousness of the father. Right. Right. And not of the son. Uh, the righteousness or unrighteousness of the son. And I think that's a very important distinction to make. Like it is unmerited, but it cannot be merited. Right. right. And so it's either grace given to you uh, by God, totally unmerited on your behalf, or it is not grace at all. It's not given to you at all. It cannot be deserved. Um, So salvation is by grace or not at all because God is pure, perfect, and holy, and righteous, and he is good, and he is love, and he like actually is those things and is the definition of those things. Right. And, um, and so he's unchanging and unshifting, and, and so nothing that is imperfect or unrighteous or sinful and, or broken in any sense can be in community with him, right? And, and we cannot get back to where we are. We're all broken, we've all sinned against God, 
Um, there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves righteous again. And even if I was for in some miraculous way, able to live the rest of my life from this point forward, completely righteously, what do I do with the unrighteousness to this point? Mm, um, the, the imperfections still exist. And so the only way that we can be brought into community with God, the only way that we can have salvation and have relationship with him that we were created to have is by him giving us his grace by doing the work for us that's required to make us righteous again. And um, that's that imputed righteousness of, of Christ by him coming and, and living and dying and, and, and living the perfect life we couldn't live, dying on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin and rising to overcome sin and death so that we might have, uh, by grace, place our faith in him and be saved and be brought back into communion with him. And God sees us as through his own righteousness, through his own character, and mm. puts the robe around us, so to speak, as you mm. were just talking about, based on what he has done for us, not anything we could do for him. That's good. Um, and, and I love how he does that even before the son can get out his yeah. plea. Um, and the father displays his grace and his, and his love. And so, um, yeah, just such an, a beautiful and important distinction um, do, do you guys have anything to add to that? Um, I, I think the grace, we can look at it just to give it a, kind of a technical definition as we move on to kind of what we want to really discuss as the bulk um, is that it is, it is a work done for us. Mm. It, is, it is victory given freely without expectation or being deserved or any opportunity to pay back. And kind of a technical definition is that grace is an unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Uh, that's a very technical way to, to look at it. But it, grace is also, in, in what we've explained, it is not of this world. Mm. And so grace is not something that we naturally give. It's not something that we naturally receive or understand at all outside of God's grace towards us. So it's not natural. It's not a human thing. And we'll look at that a little bit deeper as we get into this. Uh, but I think that's an important distinction to make. Um, so given kind of a general definition of what grace is and talking, discussing that for a couple of minutes together, why is grace so hard for us to, to understand? Why is it hard for us to, to begin to actually live in? Well, I think you were starting to get onto it there um, just a second ago. I mean, this idea that it is unnatural, right? And it's um, not in our it's not in our regular pattern of um, of life, right? So, so much of life is transactional. You know, I go to the store, or I go to the I go to the gas station. They we exchange goods. I give you know, typically a swipe a card, right? But like you would give some sort of promise of a value for a good, that being gasoline. Uh, we do that so easily. We transact so many times during the day. We even transact in relationships, if we're honest, right? Mm -hmm. There is oftentimes, if, if, our, if our relationships are not gospel-centered, there is very much a transactional nature to those relationships. I do this, therefore you do something that I want you to do. And, and, and so that is, is so deeply ingrained into our world system. It's so deeply ingrained into the culture around us that when someone gives someone something that they didn't deserve, that they couldn't even earn, that seems weird. That seems a little bit strange. And, 
Uh, I mean, I've experienced experienced this several times. You know, if I've led mission trips or gone on, you know, done done certain things, acts of service, and you're not asking for anything in return, and, and but so that kind of short circuits people's brains, right? They're just kind of like, wait a second, what what do I owe you? What am I what am I supposed to do now? And it's like receive it. That's that's the whole point. And but that does kind of highlight like how strange it is. And I think it has to do with just our general culture, our general general nature and and how this world system is set up yeah yeah i agree i think that um you know we as matt was saying you know just to highlight you know just the uh, the aspect of uh our natural bent since the fall our natural bent has has been towards uh what we're able to do what we're able to, to work up um so you when you look at creation out of God's fullness, out of his completeness, out of his grace, he creates the garden. He puts Adam in it, who is created in, in Adam. Adam is, is made in a, in a constant state of being able to receive from the fullness of God. That's what animates him. But as soon as, uh, as soon as he makes a decision that he basically wants to be his, live by the fruit of his own works, mm. then that's how human nature now is bent. And so our first reaction is always towards self and not and not towards God, okay. and uh, and there's where we get into you know just uh, the the struggle between um, overestimating our ability, our own ingenuity. Um, it's not you know from a spiritual standpoint, obviously our works compared to God's works are feeble, they're inadequate. There's nothing we bring to the table, but we think that we do. Mm. And because uh, I have experience in this, or I have knowledge in this, at times I just it's it's just easier for me to to rely on self before. I uh, begin to realize that uh, I'm really in a vicious cycle of working really hard, not getting anywhere and not really finding the satisfaction uh, that my heart is looking for. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I think because of the fall, believing that self is the only thing we can actually depend on. Right. So we continue, like you're saying, to not find what we're looking for, but continue to look for it in self because we feel like that's the only thing we can trust. That's good. Um, and so when we're separated from what we're actually created to have community with, which is God, and we're created for his glory, and that's where we find meaning and self and, and place and purpose and identity. Um, when we're separated from that because of our brokenness and sin, self is the place that we turn. Mm-hmm. Like, what else can I turn to? Right. My, but my own heart, my own desires, my own longings. And then we get in this cycle and circle of never actually finding what we're looking for, getting further away from it, because what we're looking for is community with God, which he makes available by grace, by his work for us. And, and Matt, I agree with you. I, I would say that all of life naturally is transactional. Mm. It's just the way that we, that we function. Uh, we say a lot that life is a two-way street, and this is just the way that we understand it. If I put in this amount of work, then this kind of thing should come back to me. If I study really hard, I should get this grade. If I work really hard, I should get this position. And that's just kind of the way that we function in life. It's the way that we naturally grow up. It's the way that we're taught. Uh, and so everything becomes about achievement. It's our work, uh, which comes with the possibility of reward, or disappointment or punishment or whatever it may be, depending on how well we do. But it's ultimately all about self. It's Mm -hmm. all about us and what we accomplish. Um, And this is just how the world turns. Accomplishment precedes acceptance. Mm. And so I'm accepted by what I do. Achievement precedes approval. And so if I wanna be approved, if I wanna be liked, I've gotta do a certain thing or live in a certain way. 
And so our performance actually equals our worth and our value. And on the other side of that, failure equals our death in a sense. Mm. Like it, it feels like there's no worth and no value to our life when we don't succeed in the things that we feel like we need to do. And here's the, the bottom line. Living like that for self and for achievement and accomplishment, the transaction, the two-way street, it is crippling. Yeah. There is absolutely no freedom in that because everything is determined by what you do. And as Charles was saying, we never do enough. Right. We never accomplish enough. We're never satisfied in what we're able to do. But we fall into this all the time. We fall into this in, the, in, in our walks with God as followers of Christ. We fall into this outside of knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior. But the message of the Bible is not work for uh, redemption, but it is the Redeemer doing the work for salvation. Yeah, that's good. And so when we place our faith in Him, we are actually redeemed. We are saved based on His work and what He has accomplished for us and given to us by grace by placing faith in the fact He's done all the work. Mm. And that is freeing because yeah. it means it's not on me to find everything that I'm looking for. God who is unchanging and unshakable and sovereign and in control of everything and 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 is the same yesterday today and forevermore my salvation is based on his character and his work just like the father and the story of what we would say the good father the prodigal son mm -hmm. right and so salvation in Christ um, is found in understanding that it isn't a two-way street, but it is a very one-way grace. Mm -hmm. It is a love from God, undeserved, based on His work for His people, and that is the only place that freedom is found. It's the only place that salvation is given. Um, and so outside of that, the, the, the natural tendency, the thing that we do, is make everything about us, as yeah. Charles, you were saying. Um, and that's actually the opposite of living in grace. Um, and that's why I said at the very beginning, grace is so unnatural. Mm -hmm. Like, because we don't understand it outside of the perfect God displaying it to us by doing all the work. Because nothing else can give us something that is either doesn't feel unmerited or mm -hmm. un, unachieved or undeserved. Um, and, and so it's just so unnatural to us. And outside of God's grace, everything is about us in every way. Um, and so guys, what are some of the ways, and if you don't have anything to throw into this, that's fine, but what are some of the ways that this might look in our lives? If everything becomes about us and we're not living in the grace of God, what are some of the ways that might be displayed? I mean, I feel like if, um, if it's up to me, it's going to kind of go one of two ways. Um, I'm either, I'm either going to be really good at it and therefore I'm going to feel prideful uh, about my achievement or my ability or just how it goes. Or if I am, if I fail, if I fall short, then I'm going to be brought into this place of depression and of, you know, worthlessness. And, and so it really is a, a, a sword that can strike you both ways. Uh, you can become prideful and feel like I don't need anybody. I don't need God. I don't need, I don't need other people. I'm going to use other people to get what I want because I, that's what I'm good at. Or you can fall into a deep depression knowing that, man, if it's up to me and I know that I can't do it, then like there's no hope. And I think that it's, 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 it's not surprising whenever you think you go back and read all these philosophers who are searching for what is meaning. And, and it undoubtedly they, they come to the, the uh, realization that life is meaningless. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it's just kind of like, well, that causes despair and I don't blame them. If, if life is meaningless, then like what, 
what hope is there, right? And and, and so um, obviously those guys are not believers, but but I would say that you know it, it can go both ways, right? Either I feel good about myself unduly, or I feel bad about myself unduly. But if it's up to me, it's going to kind of go one of those two ways. Well, and basically what you're saying is, outside of the grace of God and salvation in Him, you either have the enslavement of your success, or you have the enslavement of your failure. Yeah. yeah. But regardless of what you do, you're still a slave. You're a slave to yourself. And, yeah. it's a, and you know, and that enslavement, that enslavement is a unyielding uh, taskmaster. Mm. So, so even if it's the enslavement of your achievement, the taskmaster is there saying you got to achieve more. Right. You know, it's the in, in uh, it's the attitude of uh, you know, well, what have you done for me lately? And and so achievement only lasts so long. Yep. Um, and so the, you get to this insatiable desire that if I achieve this now, there's there's always going to be another horizon. There's always another mountain I'm going to have to conquer. There's always I can always earn an extra ten or fifteen thousand. There's always another rung on, on on the ladder. And so when you think of it from a, a human achievement standpoint, uh, there's always somebody who's going to be smarter than you. There's always going to be somebody who's better than you. There's always going to be a house that's bigger than yours. There's always going to be a car that's fancier than yours. Um, you know, I mean, so. You, once again, it gets back to the to the aspect of when when we're relying on self, the 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 it is a uh, the carrot is being dangled in front of the horse that you can just never get to. Right. And so therefore you have the enslavement of achievement. And then on the failure end, you know, Matt, uh, you're so right on, you know, on the failure end, it just really yanks the hope out of you. The desire. I mean, you just want to go. Uh, I failed at this. So now because. I was invested in myself and I failed. That failure is not just a failure of one moment in time uh, in one area. It is a failure that's total, complete, in that uh, it, it, it makes, it totally paralyzes us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, yeah, we just end up in this thing to where we are in this constant cycle of, um, once again, of just of being uh, enslaved to a taskmaster who who will not relent. The self will not relent. Yeah, and I think that I mean that really does affect how you deal with other people in relationship, yes. right? Uh, and so if 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 I am if I'm trying to get my worth from someone else, I'm gonna ask too much of that person. I'm going to uh, try to either achieve or I'm going to try there, there's this concept called the fear of man. Right. And the fear of man is, is stands opposed to the, the fear of God, which we're called to fear God. Um, but we are, but oftentimes we fear man. And so what happens, it drives us in order to do these things because we're more worried about what maybe we think about ourselves or what other people think about us than what God has said. I mean, the truth of God, and that's where we have to uh, combat that with the truth. And but that is so that you will use people if you are if it's about you. Uh, that's just that's just the simple way that, that that's the way that we're wired, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because of the fall, we are users uh, until we are found complete in Christ. Yeah, yeah. Because until we're complete in Christ, there's something missing that we long for. Yeah. And as long as there's something missing that we long for then we will try to seek it in everything and in everyone. Sure. Um, and so even if we're displaying uh, love in a relationship, there's ultimately, and this gets into something else I wanted to talk about, mm. ultimately, yes, we are using that person in a sense. There is no pure love there. Right. Um, pure yeah. love only exists in Christ. 
and in the gospel truth because we are saved by salvation. We are made who we are by salvation. So it's the only place in which we are able to live out of who we are in God and, and complete how we are completed in him and then give, begin to live out that completeness rather than living for completeness mm. or for what is missing uh, because we have everything that's missing in him. Um, and so that separation from the world and grace, right? That kind of, that's how that plays out in the world when we're searching for our identity in the world. What about religion? Because I think this also mm-hmm. plays into that as well, religion and grace and how is grace so different than morality because just like we would seek to complete ourselves in relationships or things and materials or jobs or family or whatever it may be and use that to complete ourselves rather than living complete in Christ and and living lovingly and, and gracious lives in relationship and community with the world uh, we can do the same thing religiously right and so how might that look hmm. Once again, I think we become undone by the transactional nature of things, and it's just dressed up in religious uh, type of uh, activity. Um, so then, uh, if the reason why I uh, am reading my Bible, you know, going to church, being in community, attending small group, uh, showing up once a month to to do some sort of outreach, feeding, you know, working at the school, if I'm doing all these things to talk about, like we talk about here a lot, if I'm doing all these things in order to check off you know, the, the seven boxes of what a uh, good Christian looks like. And so I check those boxes and by doing that, then I think to myself, well, then I, I, I should be blessed. God should be happy with me. Mm. Um, if I, if any way, shape or form, I think that God's pleasure uh, with me or in me is based on how I am performing religiously or morally, then I'm totally once, uh, working out. Uh, I'm totally in a works righteousness kind of, kind of mindset and um and that will ultimately lead you not just dissatisfied but disillusioned Mm. um if somebody doesn't realize that because uh, we all understand and know that you can uh be checking off all of the uh religious boxes and still you're going to enter you're still going to have hard times you're still going to have difficulty there's still going to be uh, uh, tragedy. You're still going to have to deal with unforeseen circumstances. And a lot of times people check off those boxes and they feel like, well, God owed me. So mm. why did you let this happen? And now they become disillusioned in faith. And uh, it can be something that the enemy uses to drive a wedge between us and really seeking after God. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, so kind of the question reminds me of a, a time I, I served as a, a student pastor for a while in uh, Virginia. And um, we were doing a see you at the pole event. So that was basically you get together one early one morning, uh, in the fall and you go to the flagpoles of the schools and you pray. If you're not familiar with it, it it's been around for a while, but, um, so our church had organized a, a bunch of students, middle and high school students to go and to pray. And we had a great turnout. I mean, we had a bunch of kids come out, a bunch of adults come out and we were there and, uh, you know, we had a, a awesome time praying for our school and our teachers and, and all that. And it was just a wonderful morning. Well, one of these, uh, a high school student comes up to me afterwards, kind of surveyed the land. He had seen, you know, th- some things and, and there were other churches that were involved as well. And he just looks at me and he goes, uh, Matt, I feel like we're winning at church. Because look at all the people that we have here, and then all these other churches don't have hardly anybody here. And and, and, and I kind of had to gently correct him in that because he was 
he's an he's an athletic guy. He's used to competitive sport. He's used to that being kind of there's a winner and a loser, and there's a you know uh, uh, even even and he had, had transmuted that into religious life. Where it was like, hey, if we got the biggest youth group, or we got the most money given, or we got the biggest response from something, then hey, man, we're winning at church, and it kind of can that can start to swell you up and puff you up. Yeah. Uh, but, but it is interesting, you know, and, and, and so I think now like th- this young man, it kind of, he's learning and he's growing in such a way that I feel like he's, he's, he's understanding more and more, uh, as, as many of us have to, that, uh, that, that, that religion is not transactional, right? Our, our, our walk with God is not transactional in that way. So therefore, like you said, checking off the boxes, making sure I say all the right things, making sure I do all the right things, that doesn't that doesn't help you to win. Right. You're not winning your salvation. It is a fight from victory, not for victory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I would want to argue, and I and just to build on what you guys are saying, I, I agree and, and want to pull off of some of that a little bit, but I would argue that seeking self in the world as we were talking about a few moments ago uh has the exact same result as seeking yourself in religion yes um because the the commonality there is seeking self yeah um seeking salvation uh seeking what is missing um and you're doing so by works either way Mm -hmm. however you defined it um because whatever we worship under our natural way of thinking is to gain it to work for it to achieve it um, and this is whether we do it in the world with things of the world or we do it in and through religion. Um, the worship is ultimately self-love if we're trying to seek what we're our work for, what we are missing, uh, whether it's religious or not. Um, I, I, uh, Matt, while you were telling that story, I was thinking of a story. Uh, I was in Atlanta one time and we I took a, a group of uh, church members to visit um, uh, a mosque there in Atlanta. And we spent time with the imam there and, and uh, one of the, the pastors uh, of the church and <clears throat> of the mosque. And we were able to kind of ask whatever questions and kind of walk through and kind of do the whole thing. And it was an educational kind of tour. And um, I did a lot of work in Orlando with um, the, um, the Muslim community because uh, it was a lot of, of people at the University of Central Florida um, in the, the Muslim society there on campus. And so we were able to just kind of talk with them and he was laying out some of the foundational things of their faith and kind of talking about how, you know, this is why they do this and this is how they do that. And some of the, the people from the, the church were asking questions on why they had to do this or why they had to do that. And, and essentially it all came down to these are the things that God commands us to do so that we can be loved by him, so mm-hmm. that we can ultimately be received by him, hopefully. Um, and, and my only question, I had some rapport with this guy. And so I was able to kind of ask this question without coming across as a jerk. Um, (laughs) but just my question was, well, if you're doing all of those things to get God to love you and receive you, then how are you actually doing any of those things for God? And why would he love and receive you? Because everything that you're actually doing, you're doing for yourself to get something from God. You're not actually doing for, for him. And so you're everything that you do, you're actually moving away from him because you're doing it for self, not for God. Right. It's self-serving. Um, and, and I feel like all of religion falls into that category. I'm ultimately serving myself, not the God that I proclaim to worship. Mm. Um, and, and living in the world is that way as well. So self-worship, 
um, if we don't make it about God and God himself, which we can only do if we are completed in him first. That's right. And that's why grace is so beautiful. Um, but if we're looking for life and self and self-worship, it leads to, as we were alluding to earlier, a life of anxiety and stress and fear and worry and control issues and all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, I saw a stat uh, a couple of years ago that said the average high school student today has the same level of anxiety in life uh, that a psych ward patient had in the 1950s. Oh, wow. mm. um, and, and, we're, and we're making life more and more about our heart and our own desires, and these are the results. Um, because it just depended on self, Charles, like you were saying, for success and for, for, for meaning and for value and, and worth and purpose. Um, and it just pushes us farther from what we actually long for, which we can only find in Christ. Mm. Um, and, and I think when we turn to religion, and we, and we might live more moral lives than if we're just turning to things of the world. Sure. And that does have benefits. Um, but the feelings don't go away of brokenness, and we're still very self-motivated. Um, the, only, the only thing that actually can give us everything we long for is God and his work on, on our behalf. That's right. Um, and that's where grace comes in. And Jonathan Edwards called it true and common virtue. And so, like, we have, all of us have this kind of common virtue of morality and this desire to chase after religion. But ultimately... It's exactly the same thing as chasing after things of the world. True virtue comes and comes alone through Christ and his work for us. Um, do you guys have anything else to say? Um, well, I was just thinking, you know, just as you were talking, um, you know, because, you know, in talking about uh, the longing of our hearts, the desires of our hearts, and then um, uh, earlier we had talked about how, you know, in relationship to God and our ability to, 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 quote, save ourselves or satisfy our own hearts, we don't bring anything to the table. A distinction I want to make is this, and this is why um, it becomes such an enslavement depending on self. So we don't bring anything into the, uh, to the table to be able to save ourselves in relationship to God. Uh, but in relationship to one another or on a totally worldly level, uh, where the enslavement comes in is that we are actually able to do certain things and perform certain things mm -hmm. and achieve certain levels. So like even when you think of uh, Adam's fall in the garden and when, and when God was, was dealing with Adam afterward, he, he told Adam, hey, when you till the ground, it will no longer yield the complete, its complete strength. It's also going to yield thorns and thistles. In other words, there are going to be some harvests, but there's also going to be some thorns and thistles. And my point being is this, is this is where the deception comes in and especially uh, it's uh, very deceptive when it's applied on the religious end, which is, I mean, we can actually produce some admirable works, mm -hmm. but invariably where, where it fails is once again, Brandon, getting back to what you said and what we've been talking about this whole time is I might be able to produce something that's of value and of worth in this, in this world. But at the end of the day, if if the glory of that comes back to glorify me, to build me up, then I end up in what, like Matt was talking about, I'm building my ego, I'm building my pride. And at some point in time, once again, now I, be, I, I enter into that vicious loop that we've been talking about. Um, and so I think it's important for us to understand that uh, we can't satisfy ourselves because we're not the creator of ourselves. The only answer can be found in Christ. And even though if I can produce value that is on a worldly level, good, as long as it's pivoting back to me and not to God, 
then it's, it's, it becomes what it says in the scripture, then my good works become as filthy rags compared to the holiness and the completeness that's in him. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no way it's actually worship. Right. Right. It is worship, but it isn't worship of him. Right. And, and the only way we can worship him is to worship him selflessly, and the only way we can worship him selflessly is to be full, and the only way we can be full is to be full because of what he does for us. Um, and so grace is the great separation. It's, it's the way that we can actually have salvation mm-hmm. by God doing all the work on our behalf. But any other way, we are enslaved to ourselves. Um, and we can't get out of that. And, and so here's my question having, that we'll close up on. Having talked about kind of the, the definition of grace and um, you know, how grace, um, why we struggle with it so much. Um, and, and kind of some of the ways that it plays out in our lives. We know that if we are saved by grace, there are still works, right? Like we have a, the book of James and all throughout the New Testament, we're talking about living our lives for God and Ephesians 2 saying we are saved for good works. And, mm-hmm. and so what is the tension there? Okay, if, if, the, if grace is, is salvation freely given to us by the work of God, um, then why does following Christ cost us everything? Why is it a call to come and die, mm. right? Like why does uh, Paul say that I, I die to self and, mm. and, and, and I live in Christ? Um, so what is the, the dichotomy there between I'm saved by grace freely, it's a free gift, it's unmerited, and now I have, I, 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 in a sense, and I'll use the word have to, um, even though it's probably not the proper term, um, but for our understanding and our, and our feelings, I have to live in this way, right? And so um, grace and works, so to speak, um, how do those two things then work together? You know, I think that we, we so often um, are, are fighting against this. It's this new, it's this new concept for us, right? Um, that I don't earn it, but I, like, to use your word, I don't have to do it, but now it, it becomes a joy to do it. Um, I think about, you know, we can talk about all different kinds of works, but there is the idea of work, right? So like just going to work. A lot of people right now thinking about their jobs, thinking about what's going on with work, things like that. A lot of people want to be working, but they're not and, and, and so on and so forth. But I think your, if you are finding your worth in your work, then that is going to continually let you down. If you are finding your worth in Christ, then your work becomes a joy to do things with excellence. And in store, instead of trying to gain my identity in my work, I now am full and complete in Christ. And then what I apply to my work is a joy to me. And that really changes and shifts and, and, and changes the game with regard to uh, what it is that I actually do. Now, that's just one example of of like uh, of, of work. Charles, what do you got? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, jumping off of that, you know, it's the aspect of um, I, I'm not working in order to get something. I work because of the thankfulness of out, out of the thankfulness of what I have received. Two, two totally different things. Mm. And so once again, it sort of goes back to, you have two people who are doing the exact same things, but they're doing them for two different reasons and out of two different mo- motivations. Um, the posture of the heart is totally, totally different. And so grace, as we've already defined earlier, is based on the aspect of knowing that 
uh, it can only be received. It cannot be earned. So uh, uh, I empty out myself. Uh, I die to self, um, uh, not in a, in a way to, to earn uh, God's favor or to earn salvation or, 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 to, or to earn grace. I emptied out myself because I've looked at the beauty and the holiness of Christ, and I've come to the conclusion there's no other way to live. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think. Um, yeah, I think that's that's really good. I I, I would almost separate grace into two categories. Mm, okay. Um, I think you have a saving grace, right, which is the free, unmerited gift of salvation yep. by God and God alone, uh, and then you have a sanctifying grace. And I think when we are saved by grace. Um, there's nothing that we can do to have receive that salvation. We place our faith in the fact that God's done all the work. And then there's a sanctifying grace that makes us more and more like him that, that kind of, uh, you know, burns away the, the self and the, the desire to worship self and to seek self and turns us towards following and seeking Christ. Mm. Um, and so the saving grace and sanctifying grace, I think helps us kind of just think through that just a little bit. Um, and I forget who said it. One of you guys might know, but the this, the difference between cheap grace and costly grace. Mm-hmm. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, this this idea of cheap grace is this this grace that basically saves. It's a free gift, but it changes nothing. Mm. Um, and um, it, it just gives you a reward, but doesn't change anything at all. And the gospel is costly grace. It's um, it's a grace that changes everything about who we are. And, and that's what you're saying. We're complete is what we've all been saying. We are completed in Christ and therefore we're given a new identity. We're given his righteousness going back to the beginning of just explaining what grace is altogether. And that changes who we are. Mm. Um, and so in the, in the, in one sense it's free, but in another sense it costs everything of who we were before we knew Christ um, because we're actually made who we are created to be. Mm-hmm. And that means the old self has to die away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm reminded of Matthew 13, 44. It's just a, a quick one verse. Um, and I'll read it here. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Um, and I think the big idea here is finding the treasure in the field is the type of, of grace here and selling all that he has that's the saving grace, selling all that he has to purchase the field, um, is because of the treasuring he has in Christ. Um, and so it's not to actually buy the grace. The grace was there. The salvation was there. Christ was there and he desires to, to give everything that he has because he realizes that everything he has in Christ is, is far and, and, and so much greater than anything else in the world that it's worth giving everything for. That's good. Um, and, and so that's kind of the, the, the sanctifying grace. It's this like, I'm willing to give everything away for him because he is worth everything. Um, and, and I want to know him more. And that's why Martin Luther said grace makes disciples because once we feel and know the grace and love of Christ, then the only thing we desire is to give everything to follow him. Um, and, and I think that's the, the kind of the difference there between and how grace and works and in a very easy and simple way to, to explain it works together yeah um where it really does transform us 
so that in Christ we're actually free to live the way that we were created to live and that freedom liberates us and we have a desire to live and follow God and God alone. Um, and that's how Paul says, like, therefore I'm crucified in Christ. I no yeah. longer live, but it's it's Christ who lives in me and through me. Um, therefore I must increase or I must decrease and he must increase, sure. you know, and, and it becomes a very easy thing to say as you begin to realize, even though it might be a difficult path, what you're gaining in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think that's the, the difference there. Um, and I want to I want to close us up, but I do want to ask this question. We can just kind of quickly give a couple of thoughts. How do we live in that type of grace? How do we understand our salvation and grace and begin to walk in the new identity that we have in practical ways every single day? Yeah, you know, to me, one of the frustrating kinds of things to talk about something like this is because it's, it's in, in starting to talk about it on a practical level, which is important to understand on a practical level. We have to be careful that we don't start ascribing a works kind of step into <laughs> these five steps into grace. Well, now we've uh, contradicted ourselves, but um, I like what you said here a minute ago, Brandon, that there's different uh, kinds of graces. So you distinguished um, a saving grace, a sanctifying grace. And then what I would say on a practical level, then there's also an enabling grace. And that enabling grace is, is that day-to-day uh, grace that we get that allows us to be able to uh, live in that grace and experience it in, in very practical ways. And um, so the way I see that, once again, sort of going all the way back to the beginning in, in our definition, if we look at grace as first being something where we recognize the fullness that we have in Jesus, that, that becomes fundamental. Mm. And it's out of that fullness that we are completed. And we see this in the Gospel of John chapter 1, uh, verses 14 through 16. I won't read all of it, but it says that the Word became flesh, talking about Christ. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and he was full of grace and truth. And then verse 16 says this. He says, and then out of that fullness, we have all received um, grace in place of grace already given. So the first concept, once again, is that Jesus came, and he came full of grace, and out of that fullness, we all receive. And then in Colossians, once again, it says that that grace completes us. Well, then how do, so really what it is then is how do we access it or Brendan to use your term how do we live into it the term I like is how do we lean into it mm. almost like fall in, you know fall into it and uh, in uh, in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes Jesus says this he says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be full mm. or they shall be filled or satisfied so once again it all gets back to a, a posture uh, so it's not five steps to getting into God's grace. It is simply that we lean into God's grace and we begin to experience that divine enablement or that sanctifying grace as we uh, posture ourselves to seek the face of God, to, to, to seek the presence of God, to, to know God in his word and through prayer. Uh, as we enter into community uh, with one another and uh, we, we experience different uh, ways that God's his his varied grace, if you will. Um, so at the most basic level, it is the aspect of 
we hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then as we do that, um, uh, I, I read this in Spurgeon's daily devotions uh, earlier this week. And what he says, he says, when, you know, as we're living into that grace, then when we need direction, his wisdom is then made available to us. Uh, his knowledge becomes our instruction. His power becomes our protection, his justice, our surety. So once again, all that fullness on a practical level, it is already contained in Christ. And as we seek him, he gives it to us and we just receive it. Yeah. I, and I think one uh, thing that you said there at the beginning, I wish I would have added on to what I was saying before, because I think it's really important to say um, it, it's grace that saves us and also grace that changes us. That's right. And so, um, and it is a grace that we are changed. Right. Um, and I think so that we don't have to live in our self-desire anymore, our, our uncertainty anymore, our fear anymore, our anxiety anymore. Uh, for not having what we are lacking, but we can live in the certainty of who we are in Christ and we can be transformed into our desires being God's desires. That's a grace to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then what you're saying um, as well, like is exactly what I would say and is the only thing we can really do. And that is preach the gospel to ourselves. Yep. Just constantly proclaiming the gospel, like identifying in our lives what we believe we need for salvation and that we need to work for and how we need to perform to get it and, and what we're chasing in life and what we feel like we need to accomplish and telling the false God of accomplishment or achievement or material or relationship what the true God says we are in him. Um, And I think just reminding ourselves constantly of who we are by the grace of God and then living out that truth and not chasing after things and replacing the God for false gods that are, that are vastly less satisfying Mm -hmm. um, is, is very important. It's good. Yeah. uh, John 15 uh, where Jesus is talking, uh, he says, I am the true vine. Mm. And there's this, there's this, there's this concept there of abiding. Right. And so when I think about abiding in Christ, it's not just sitting around. It's this idea that there is a connection that is made and there are various ways that you can connect with God. You know, you can connect in his word in the place of prayer and community. There are many different ways you can do that. Uh, there's this also this dependence on God. So day by day, depending on him and not on yourself. So there's, there's this, there's, there's this, um, not, not necessarily a ritual, but, but a, a regular nature to depending on God in the small things and in the large things. And then, uh, lastly, just the continuation of that over a long period of time that is going to, um, make God's grace so evident to you. If you are abiding in Christ, if you are seeing him as your source of life and you are continuing in that day after day, uh, living in gospel center community, uh, practicing uh, the spiritual disciplines, that is going to just make you, like you said, Charles, so aware of, uh, of that. And, and you'll notice the change. Here's the thing. You may not see it day by day. It's just like, you know, if you're, if you're working out and you're doing whatever, you're trying to eat differently, or you're trying to take care of your skin. You may not realize that the, that there are changes happening, but man, meet somebody five years that you haven't seen in five years. And they might say, and hey, you are different. Yeah. You are changed. And that is an incredible thing when God is doing his good work uh, in and through us. And then oftentimes we, we're experiencing grace and we don't even recognize it in the moment. It's only afterward. You look back and you're like, man, that's, that's yeah, God's grace. Right, right. You know? And yeah. especially when we're talking about 
day to day to day aspects, you know, things, uh, you know, there are situations I've walked through in my life. Uh, this would be a, a huge thing, but uh, I had a brother who passed away uh, from cancer at the age of 40 and um, walking through that time period uh, in my life. And, you know, there are things you walk through and those things should have absolutely like somebody asked me one time, said, you know, aren't, did you ever get like angry with God, you know, about all that? And I was like, well, no. And, uh, and the reason why is, you know, pivoting and looking back on that situation, there are so many things I can look back in hindsight and realized there was a sustaining and enabling grace. And this might be hard to believe, but in that there, there are blessings that came out of that that I wouldn't trade for anything. And so it becomes one of those things like, once again, so in, a, in, in something that should have been absolutely uh, a, a, a time of mourning, and it was, um, but yet God's grace allowed there to also out of that come joy. That's good. Um, uh, transitions in your life when you should be freaking out because you're moving from this place to the other, you're leaving this job and you know, you don't know what, uh, God's wisdom. These, these, there's practicalities that happen that at the end of the day, if we would, if we would take time to just sort of reflect, you would see how in so many different ways throughout a week, God's grace was being released and he's just so awesome and good. He doesn't have to announce the dishes there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there are, uh, God's grace is, is obviously endless and mm. we could talk about it endlessly. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I think I want us to remember as we close up today, uh, that if you are in Christ, if you are his, you have his full amount of grace. Yeah. Uh, you have all of his favor it's already yours. You don't have to do anything. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you less. If you are not his, then we would just encourage you and challenge you to place your faith in him today. Uh, we would love for you to, to email us if you have any questions about Christ. Info at redemptionhill.net. Um, we would love to help you with that. But remember that you have his full grace. And the, the call for the believer, the hard work of Christianity is not to work hard for God's love and favor, but it is to realize it's the hard work of actually living in the love and favor he already gives you yeah. um, and preaching the gospel to yourself. Um, and, and I'll just close up with this way, um, just to challenge our thinking in a little bit. I remember uh, all of us have probably had this situation before, but I remember one specific time when I lost my wallet and I looked around the house for it, my car, the everywhere, uh, under the kids' beds, everything, to find this thing for like 30 minutes. I was running late. Uh, and realized then that it was after 30 minutes in my jacket pocket uh, the entire time, yeah. right? Um, and, and I told that story to my wife and she laughed at me. And then, you know, I felt really stupid because I was late for a meeting. Um, and, and I think we, we hear those types of stories. This happened to every single one of us. Maybe sure. you've had your sunglasses on your head and uh, you've looked for them forever and realized, oh, they're on my head the whole time or whatever it may be. Um, we laugh at those kinds of things because we, we think, how dumb is it that, that we do that sometimes, that we would search for 30 minutes for something that we already have in our possession. That's good. Um, but this is what we do as believers all the time. Uh, we look for acceptance in people, though we already have acceptance in Christ. We, we look for worth and value in school and in work, although we already have all of our worth and value in Christ. And we have it all by His grace. The work is completed. And so we need to realize and live in this it is finished type of grace mm, mm. that God gives us and we can begin to live in a restful state and we can begin to live out the 
the identity uh, that God has given us and live in his will. So uh, just let me encourage you, let us encourage you in that today. Uh, we love you guys. Um, if you have any topics or questions that you want to send in for us to address, uh, please send them to info at redemptionhill.net uh, and God bless. How was that? I mean, we can we can certainly. I mean, it can always be better.